0: It's good to be here, as I said before, and when uh, I was asked if I was available, and um, when they said AIC, you know, I am available, because it's, uh, we've got great memories of coming here through the years, uh, and to be with you again is good. This is a time of transition for you in many ways, as uh, the former senior pastor has gone and the search for a new one is coming to, uh, hopefully, a conclusion, and things are changing, There's uh, all sorts of changes in your lives individually. People are leaving, people are changing their status and whatever is going on. And so I call this series of five uh, a new chapter for AIC and for its people. And so I hope these things, while they might not seem exactly attached to that for the moment, these are important things. And uh, so this one is starting off today with, Who is the Greatest?, uh, it's a question that you are being asked every day whether you realize it or not. As uh, right now, if you're in football, flan, you're being asked who is the greatest in Moscow, and some of the greatest are not as great as they thought. Uh, if you're in politics, you're seeing people clamoring to be the greatest, uh, making decisions, uh, shouting into the media. And so in business, who's the greatest? Who shall I follow with my investments and my money? Uh, All sorts of things, education. Which school shall I go to? Big big uh, question that people ask. Who is the greatest? Churches. Can you believe churches are clamouring for attention? Go to a pastor's conference. Who is the greatest? Well, my church is bigger than your church. And uh, my people give more money than you. Our building is better than yours. They don't say it like that, but that's what they're really saying. And so we need to be careful that uh, when we, for instance, search for a pastor, we're not looking for someone who's better than somewhere else or bigger than somewhere else. We don't want our church particularly to be, our, our claim to fame to be, we were smaller than you and now we're bigger. We want to know who is God's choice for us as a pastor. What is God's choice for us as a people individually because... The greatest I've learned is among us. And so I want to talk about that this morning. Who is the greatest? Well, God's answer is very clear. And you really don't need me to tell it, but I'm going to, because sometimes we forget. And our attention is diverted from the Lord to the people of the Lord. And while they must have focus, they don't have our full attention. God describes his son... As uh, in words like supreme, preeminent, above all others, and he describes is describing the Lord Jesus Christ, Colossians 15, 1 and fifteen. He is the image of the invisible God. He's over all creation. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in all things he might have the supremacy. And in Hebrews chapter one, talking about God, talking about his son. Your throne will last forever and ever. Righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God has set you above all others. Now we sit here today and most of us here will agree with that and we've heard it before and it doesn't need to be a challenge for us to understand that. But from the beginning of time we need to realize that the majority of people have not accepted this. And even today, we sit in here, outside there, most of the people are walking by with no interest, no knowledge, and uh, not even thinking about what we are discussing in here. The claims of Christ when he came to earth and walked around Galilee and other places were that he was primarily rejected. And yet some of them were very religious people. The uh, Jewish people, of the, or the people of the Old Testament, is largely a history of the Jewish people. And they traced their, their lineage right back to the man called Abraham. And in Genesis, God came to Abraham and he said some things to him that are very important. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So who is the greatest? You could be forgiven if you were saying, Abraham's the greatest. Look at that. And the people did, and they started to believe him. And the Jewish people traced their lineage, as I say, back to him. And so when someone comes and says and starts to say, no, I'm better than Abraham, there's going to be a problem. And of course, the, the Jews rejected Jesus when he came. And John chapter 1 says he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. At that time, John the Baptist was drawing some large crowds as the forerunner of this Jesus. And he was going around preaching and people were coming and he said to them, Well, I baptise you with water, but actually the one who's coming after me is going to is greater than me. I'm not worthy to untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So when Jesus came and was on earth, he was mostly doing his work Amongst Jewish people. When he started his miracles, they were primarily involved with Jewish people. And the disciples he called to be his followers were Jewish. The crowds that began to follow him were primarily Jewish. And the Jews would be a hard congregation to convince. After all, they were the descendants of Abraham, they had received the promise. And for them, there's no need for Jesus. And Paul wrote it down in uh, what he wrote at one point, where he said, for the Jews, theirs is the adoption of sons. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. See, there's, it's like that today. They're not saying these things. But when we talk to people about Christ and say that there is a better life, the answer really is, I don't need a better life. I have many. I have a satellite deal. I have a new car. Or it's an electric car. I see a lot now around the streets. I'm better. I have all the things I need. Sure, it's busy, but there's no need. And in some places, uh, sometimes, I have my way of worshipping, and it's not to put Christ as the supreme. There's a heated discussion there in um, John 8 where Jesus is defending his claims, and the people are not very happy with that. And uh, they tell him he's demon-possessed. And so it comes up in John, uh, back here now, I've got to rework this thing. Who do you think you are? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did all the prophets. I tell you the truth, said Jesus, before Abraham was born, I am. You've got to be brave to say that in front of a, a pack of Jews who are against you, a pack of people, doesn't matter. And so it is they tried to stone him. And they tried to kill him. Not only does he claim to be greater than Abraham, he's claiming now to be God. And on three other occasions they tried to kill him for the same reason. John 5:18. The Jews tried harder to kill him because he said God was his father, making him equal with God. We don't stone you for doing good work, but for claiming as a man that you are God. By our law he should die because he made himself To be the son of god they didn't understand that the opposite was actually the truth it's not that as a man he was claiming to be god but as god he had become a man you know this but it's written as well as anyone could say it he who in very nature god did not consider equality with god something to be grasped made himself nothing taking on human likeness humbled himself and became obedient to death on a cross. Therefore God has lifted him to the highest place, given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is greater than Abraham. But that's just the beginning because now the Lord on his earthly journey will start to unravel and undo all their uh, sacred beliefs that they thought were from God but had been uh, made into something of uh, a falsehood. A Jewish form of worship from the early days was uh, when Moses was their leader and they were marching through the desert. You remember they'd been in slavery for many years and then they were released And under Moses, they started a 40-year trek to a promised land. And God came to Moses and he said, "Uh, I want you to build a worship center for me, a tabernacle, a tent. And it's very sophisticated. I want to look at it one day. It's got got some good things. And uh, he said, this will be the place where they can worship. And so priests were appointed and animals were taken. And on a daily basis, this was the hive of activity as people tried to appease God's anger by sacrificing animals in a, in a very particular way, yeah, I have to say the smell would not be good and the, the priest's w- suit would not be looking like this at the end after they'd killed animals and done it. But that was their form of worship. Uh, then when they got to a place of uh, security, it was a temple built during the reign of Solomon at great expense. The people could approach God the same way, bring their animals, an elaborate system, And Solomon's temple was a magnificent building. It lasted 400 years. And uh, not many buildings these days uh, are in good shape after 400 years. And uh, it was built by Solomon at great wealth, and it became what would be, I would think, one of the wonders of the world at the time. Uh, It was knocked over by the Babylonians, and then a generation later rebuilt in the days of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel. And uh, it lasted not so long, and again it was destroyed. Now comes Jesus. He comes into this town where the, the, the temple is still basically the, the ruins a bit in use apparently. What will he say? Matthew chapter 12 verse 9 says this. I tell you, one greater than the temple is here among you. And now that's not a very good thing to say, not a very PC, politically correct thing to say. The temple in Jerusalem was Israel's way of approaching God. Jesus says, no, I have a, I'm a, replacing that. Forget the animals, forget the priests every day, forget all these rituals because I come from God, I am God. And now there's a new way and that is the only way for mankind to approach God. And it is because I've, I've, I am the, tr- I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to God but by me. Do you understand that and, and do you believe it? That uh, there's no need for any particular rituals of belief or practice. Jesus says, I am the way. Come to me and you will get to God. But they see there's no other way. So no longer is worship of God to be a matter of location. It's a spiritual act, an attitude of us as individuals. It's good we're here. It's right that we're here and we're encouraged to be here. But you don't come here to meet God particularly because God comes with you so together we can meet him in a corporate way. I am the way, the truth and the life. Which means that the man in prison today can worship God and have the same access to God as we do. The person that's way out on the mountaintop or the person that's isolated, the lonely person, if they knew, could turn to God and find the comfort and relief that comes from him. And that's what we do. Now we find strength and being together I know that the church is good next week I'll tell you what your role is you have a big role this pastor when he comes is not going to solve the problems or do all the work God's got a job for you to do whoever you are but uh, in terms of access to God we all have it we can be genuine worshippers wherever uh, we are he met a lady beside a well once who'd been uh, isolated and he said to her the time has come now When the true worshippers worship the Father in spirit and truth, they're the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And therefore, the worshippers must worship in spirit uh, and in truth. Now, that woman who he was talking to uh, answered back. And he said, well, she said, yeah, I, I know that. I know that one day the Messiah will come and he's going to explain all the things that are mysteries to us. And then Jesus said, well, I who speak to you is that person. Jesus is saying that he is greater than Abraham, greater than the temple, and now greater than Solomon. The wisdom of Solomon was and still is uh, acknowledged in literature as some of the greatest writings that have ever been made, most relevant. The queen of Sheba, who apparently was a very important queen, came from far away to learn from him, to have her questions answered. And when she left, uh, she said something that's still quoted in regard to wisdom. She said, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceeds the fame I have ever heard. So here's someone who sees in this Solomon someone that is God-like. Solomon's reign, if you read through the scriptures, the Old Testament, was one of the greatest prosperity times of Israel ever. In 1 uh, Kings, we read some things about uh, the testimony to the fame of Solomon and just how great a person he was. Uh, He's wiser than all men. That's quite a statement to be recorded in Scripture. Wiser than all men. Uh, all the earth sought Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. And if you read through... Uh, Uh, Chapter 4, verse 33, these are not the exact words, but what it is, he was a poet, a philosopher, a botanist, and a zoologist. He knew a lot, did our Solomon. The wisdom of Solomon, all of these things that he did. But then, you see, comes Jesus, and now there's a, a new claim. Forget Solomon. The Queen of the South, said Jesus, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of, earth, of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdoms. Now, one greater than Solomon is here. So Solomon's wisdom came from God, as recorded in Scripture. But now for us, we read that Christ... Uh, go on from that one. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And then the... Um, the people of the town were saying, who is this man? What sort of wisdom is it? We knew him when he was a boy. This is indeed the Solomon, the, the greater than Solomon. But now we get greater than Jonah, the prophets. Uh, Jonah was an unwilling and rebellious prophet. If you know the story, he was told to go by God to somewhere and he said, I think I'll go the other direction. And uh, for that, he was uh, allowed to spend three days in the belly of the whale. And that's the story we hear, the Jonah and the whale. When he came through from that, he went off to Nineveh, and God said to him, I want you to tell the people, just this is the message, in uh, 30 days, is it? I will 40 days. I will destroy the city. He didn't say, I'm going to forgive the city at that point. And so Jonah was pretty uh, angry about this. And he walked through the city. Apparently it would take quite a few days to get through Nineveh. And uh, as I read the history books, I'm told that... Some years not too far away, certainly in, me- in memory, the city had been largely destroyed by an earthquake. And now we're in a city living now where it's, it's now, um, it's eight years, but the memory is still there. There's a certain noise at night if we hear it. We jump out of bed even though it's not an earthquake. Earthquakes are very, amongst other things, are very dis- disruptive things, not only at the time, but in later life. So if you're a person in Nineveh and a man's coming through and he's saying, repent, in 40 days God will destroy the city, you here, in 40 days there's going to be another earthquake that's going to finish us off. Perhaps they did that. Anyway, what they did was they asked God for forgiveness. And wouldn't you know it, God forgave them. And Jonah's not very happy with this. He rather liked the idea that Nineveh would be wiped out. But it didn't happen. God forgave. Jesus also preached a hard message. He warned of judgment, but he matched it with the offer of forgiveness, peace with God, and everlasting life. And you've heard this, and we would say it again this morning. Jesus says to you, come to me, you who are weary and burdened down with some issue of the day, and I will give you rest. That's a great thing to have in our armory but do we take notice of it? I will give you rest. Whoever believes in me will not perish, but have everlasting life. So the people who were listening to this said, well, give us a miraculous sign to show us, you know, something. And he said, then nothing will be given to you but what was already given in the life of Jonah. Jonah went into the belly of the fish for three days and died and came back to new life. And so this one, me, who's claiming these things will go into death for three days and I will come back to life, and it will be everlasting life. So he is a greater than Jonah, and he would do that for all who would believe in him. One more comparison. The disciples had gone into town to get some food. It was a hot day, and Jesus had stayed beside the well, and he was a little tired, and as he watched, a lady came, a Samaritan came to draw water. She chooses this day because she's an outcast in the city. Her morals are not what they should be. And uh, she's a Samaritan and not a Jew. And that would uh, a racial difference. And so she comes hoping that nobody will see her. And then suddenly a voice comes and she jumps because the voice says, would you give me water to drink? A Jewish man speaking to a Samaritan woman, never heard of, not, not, not kosher at all. He asks her for a drink and the conversation moves to him offering the water of life. Everyone who drinks this water from the well of Jacob will thirst again, but whoever drinks the water I will give will never thirst again. In fact, the water I give will become a spring of water in that person, welling up again to eternal life. She says, but wait, this well that you're drinking of is the well of Jacob. Way, way back in history, Jacob and his men came and dug this well and set up a system of irrigation that has provided water and help for us, everybody, not just the Jews, ever since. We get our water every day from here. The water from this well or its subsidiaries provide irrigation for our crops. Jacob is the one. Are you greater than Jacob, she says? He says, I am. Sir, she replies, give me this water. And so we come to the question really that uh, we need to ask ourselves, do we just take this at head knowledge or has this become part of our life? We turn the pages of scripture and just a bit later we find Jesus has come on a uh, celebration day. This is apparently a day of celebration as a nation or a country. On a day like that, Jesus stood at the edge and he shouted with a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So that's the offer that Jesus offers us today. As we bring all this up to date, this has never changed. And if we try other methods, they will fail. If we extend the belief in different ways, it won't be right. Jesus stands among us today, and he says, if you're thirsty, if your life is not fulfilled, come to me and drink, and I will place in there living water through the Spirit of God that is given to you. New members stood here. Membership doesn't bring them, uh, shall we say, access to God any more than people who are non-members. But what they're saying is, I am a believer. I have that living water, and I am determined to join with others and to declare as a group, through individual work often, the claims of Christ. I'm going to go to the wells of this land. And when the people come say, this is one way of living, but Jesus says, there's living water for you to be had, if anyone is thirsty. And he meant the Spirit. There's many songs and sermons that confirm that. And today I want to ask you, if you're here today and you don't know the, the saving grace of God through his son Jesus Christ, if you don't know what it means, what's this water, living water, no water? What I'm saying is that the, the quenching things of life alone are not sufficient. There's an emptiness when you take the world what, as it offers and neglect what God is offering. But God is saying to you, come to me and i will give you a way of life i will give you joy in your heart i will implant myself into your life and that thirst or that hunger that feeling of emptiness can be taken away and if by the way we've been at that point and it's not the same there's a need to come back and to taste away i'm very much into because of my age now when we sang hymns they were much part of my life and the words of those help me along the day. I read my Bible, I turn the pages of the hymn book, and in the book of Isaiah, the, the writer is often uses his point by using the word "ho, ho It means listen up, ho everyone that is thirsty in spirit. ho everyone that is weary and sad. come to the fountain there 's fullness in Jesus, all that you 're longing for come and be glad, and uh, I did that, and many of you have done that, and so we look back on that day when our lives were empty, and he said come, and we did, and we're glad, and there's a testimony that you might want to sing, that I sing often because of this, I heard the voice of Jesus say, behold I freely give the living water, thirsty one, stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived and now I live in him. 1955 for me, wow, that was a long time ago and there's been some ups and downs and there's been some emptiness and dry spells but I would sing sing it again today. I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving well. And so can you come? And he will guide you and he will never leave me. We've had some rock bottoms. We've had some great old times. We live in him. I want to tell you today as we start out on the series, the point of this is we don't go looking for someone someone or something better. We have the best. He is the greatest. Our Lord Jesus is greater than Abraham. He's given us access to God the Father individually. No need for Israel's temple or its uh, elaborate ways of worship. His wisdom is way beyond that of Solomon. His message promises far more than that of Jonah and all the prophets. His life is more satisfying than anything the well of Jacob could bring forth. And his promise of eternal life can be trusted because he went into death and God who raised him to new life offers the same for us who believe. So I say to you, do you know him? Do you know him? Not do you know about him, but do you know him? That's, uh, there's a great, if you go onto YouTube and push uh, benedictions that last for 10 minutes, there's an African-American pastor in, uh, in, the, in the US that will last more than 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And he comes back to this phrase, do you know him? My Jesus is this, my Jesus is that, do you know him? So this morning, I think, as you come into the summer months and as you address the situations that you have individually and as they are addressed as a church, do we know him? And if we know him, can we understand that he will bring what we need to know? The one who's the greatest wants to reveal himself to you, give you what all the other names mentioned cannot. He's been our focus here this morning in worship as we've come around his table in response to his invitation. He can be the focus of your life as you leave out here today and go out and serve him and take his name. Take the name of Jesus with you. It will not only give you joy and comfort, it's precious, a sweet name, and its name can be music to the woman at the well who thought Jacob had given it all but realized one greater than Jacob would come and the water that he gave was everlasting water, everlasting life for you and me. It's pretty good to me. If you're going on holiday, going away on vacation, take him with you because he's coming with you. Acknowledge him with you. Let your light shine that others. We can teach discipleship, but now you can be a disciple. We can tell them to come to Alpha Course and hear the gospel, but we can go out and embody the gospel. Let's do it. It's great to be with you. Great to see you. God bless you and take you on a new journey. As you come to a rear gear again, dig deep into the well and have that life-giving water take over your life.